Hello, and welcome to the We're Not Stump podcast. I'm your host, Mike Boland, and I'm a congenital amputee of the right hand. In this show, I will interview other amputees and allow them to tell you their incredible life stories. I'll also feature family members of amputees and others who support the amputee community, all in an effort to discuss the challenges and triumphs of those living with limb loss. So stick around and listen to inspirational stories and find out why we say we're not stumped. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the We're Not Stumped podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bolin. Today, I've got a really special guest on, Carlos Baker. The story is amazing. He's done so many things. Carlos, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. What's going down? Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. You know, we always start the We're Not Stumped podcast with a segment I call In Your Own Words. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about your story. All right, let's see. Uh, well, I'm a 49-year-old dude now. Um, I guess if I go way back, uh, grew up in um, right outside of Rhode Island, so East Providence, Rhode Island, and had kind of a um, picturesque, idyllic uh, childhood. Um, my grandfather uh, had a small business and um, kind of had that, American dream type lifestyle. So he had a 40 acre farm gentleman's wow. farm in Rehoboth, Massachusetts, which is right over the line of Rhode Island. And, um, and then he had like a lake house, uh, in Rhode Island. So I feel like back in the fifties, sixties, that, that was like the American dream. Right. So he kind of had that, had a small business and, uh, my dad, uh, and my mom built a $30,000 raised ranch on a parcel of property on his big piece of land. So we grew up next to my gramps and um, my my grandparents and had a wonderful childhood with the horses and cows and and motorcycles and all the all the toys that you know you can imagine. And then um at 12 and a half, I you know, I was a typical young boy and kept complaining to my papa, my father, that um my left foot kept getting pins and needles, just having, you know, struggling with some um strange feelings in my foot and and uh sooner or later he's like all right let's go to the walk-in clinic in east providence and um so we walked in there thinking that it was you know nothing and uh that the the, the uh, doctor said yeah you know what let's take an x-ray and when he walked back into the room and i i vividly remember even as a as a 12 year old i you knew something wasn't right his energy was significantly changed and he was dead serious he was like well uh something's going on in there and uh i what i want you to do mr baker that's my dad's last name uh i, I want to send you over to rhode island hospital right now to see uh see a buddy of mine i, I want him to take a look and he knew uh, it was osteosarcoma so um and uh and it likely been in my body for a long time uh because by the time they found it and we started all the you know, all the process and at the Dana Farber, it was already in my lungs. And, uh, so it, it was a real challenge. <laughs> Obviously, uh, got thrown into the, the typical story, a year of chemotherapy, um, all the surgeries, trying to save the leg surgery on the lungs, all that stuff. And, you know, ultimately, uh, against all odds survived it, um, it came out the other end, but, uh, two years the cancer was gone but my leg was had a staph infection in it and uh ultimately was the doctors decided to amputate and then uh oddly my story you know as an amputee it, it was a celebration for me when they finally chopped the leg off because 
you know, it was two years, it was the year of hell for, for mm. chemotherapy and all that stuff. And then a year of hell wanting to get back to normal life and dragging around this dead kind of leg. Um, mm. so I woke up, you know, just fired up from, you know, non, non-typical, I feel like that's a non-typical story. You know, most of us, who most amputees, it's the worst day of their lives type thing. Right. Um, but for my situation, it was, it was truly a celebration and kind of the day after, uh, my body, the staph infection was then out of my body, my body kicked into puberty and, uh, I just never looked back, you know, that, that was in, that would have been 90, I'm sorry, that would have been 89, uh, prosthetics were just transitioning over to plastics and, and more technology based stuff. So, um, I had, you know, from an amputee standpoint, uh, I had a as as positive as an experience as i could have had you know it, it's a very strange for me it's a very strange memory because i i have quite you know i i've never been one of those guys that sulked about my my uh, handicap it yeah. for me it was um very much just part of my just part of who i was and i i think i probably idealize it right <laughs> maybe i'm sure i had bad days but uh for the most part um, I lived a pretty awesome, typical childhood, even after where I just pretended like I was normal, didn't talk about it. You know, was, was that type of guy where I'm just like, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go, go, go. And, uh, so that's kind of, uh, that was the, you know, that was the early times. And then, you know, life just kept moving along, man, found, you know, married, got married and all that stuff. And, yeah. And you said this is Rhode Island. Is that correct? This was Rhode Island. Yeah. Where did you I, get I the prosthetics? Because I'm from back east originally. I'm just kind of curious. Oh, yeah. Where are you from? What, I'm from New Jersey originally, and I went okay. to Kessler Institute when I was a young young man. Okay. Well, oddly, man, uh, I ended up, even though I was in Rhode Island, through nefarious, uh, I have to be, I have to be careful, but, and I won't name names, but through somebody who convinced my parents that I could only go to this one guy who happened mm. to be in Long Island. Um, it made our lives very complicated because from 14 to to until I went to college, so I would have been in my early 20s or, or perhaps my late teens, I was constantly driving back and forth to Long Island to this prosthetic guy mm-hmm. who was not, he was good, but he wasn't that good he wasn't so good that i needed to <laughs> drive for you know and you know how I, I was growing like a weed from 14 yeah. to so in retrospect um it's hard to complain because he did a great I, I i was always so blessed with i only have 19 centimeters of of uh femur bone on my left leg so um wow. i have relatively uh you know not much to work with but um it definitely once i realized and started seeing the guy in rhode island uh, mr bill tioli who, who's he's now retired and his son has taken over his business but bill was so great and I, you know and he'd be like so remind me why did you drive to long island for the last six years of your life and i'm like i don't know man it's what my parents told me to do you know <laughs> so uh we we caused ourselves a lot of heartache with that drive man because we did it so much and every time i had a uh you know if Loctite wasn't put on one of the screws, I had to drive all the way to Long Island to get it dealt with. But we didn't know any better, you know. Yeah. And 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 I did have a, again, I did have a really good relationship with that guy, and I I did kind of love that he was kind of fatherly to me. But um, 
I think it was a little bit, uh, it was a gray area of the way I ended up there because someone reached out to me when they heard that I had, mm. was an amputee and they, they kind of took interest. It's kind of strange story. Man. Yeah. It took interest and again, pushed me that way. And then I, as I met more people that went to this place, they were like, Oh yeah, I'm here because of this, this person they reached out and, and, and this guy is the best. So we have to come here. Weird. Right. Yeah. And obviously a little bit before the internet, so it'd be hard to do some of that research. And I would imagine the, the, the whole prosthetic journey was because you had mentioned it, you were a growing boy at the time. So that, that would have just added another wrinkle, I guess would be a way to say it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I think technology was literally, it was transitioning from, from wood, wood, you know, right at that mid eighties is when plastic started becoming, um, and, and I was watching kind of those hydraulic and mouk units and, and all the, you know, like, um, uh, had, uh, what was it? no, it's been endolite and all the, I remember all these brands that they did a good job marketing. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of one of those guys where I was like, I was like, I want that. I think I, <laughs> I, you know, can I have that? And of course you can never have all that stuff. It's expensive at some point. Um, once, once I got more comfortable with, uh, with the reality you know and i I feel like that takes us uh a minute to realize at some point that the the prosthetic i'm only going to do so much you know like i was such an active kid and i was a kind of a gym rat that was my sport going you know bodybuilding was my sport but at some point i realized that um with 19 centimeters of of uh femur bone i was not going to you know be in the paralympics running or it's those realities and those are okay that's that's perfectly fine um i I remember the days where people would be like why don't you i saw that commercial where those guys are running or those guys are playing basketball and i'm like yeah i i don't know why i can't do that you know because i didn't until i got a little old and i'm like oh they're knee x you know they they have their entire femur bone or you know what i mean like yes those, those things that it takes a little bit to um learn and then at at some point uh you get you get to that point where you're like okay now i just don't want pain i don't care about trying to get more uh mobility i just don't want pain you know i i got to that place where which was probably post-college where i'm like i no longer i'm looking to do stuff man and i don't want to run a marathon i just don't want to have any discomfort can you get me that all right then we're good you know get around without any discomfort that's that makes a lot of sense skin issues right and you, you were talking quite a bit about your attitude and things like that, which we, we talked for a few minutes before the podcast started, and I really enjoy talking to you. But what are some of the harder parts about being a, an above-knee amputee? Um, if any. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, I, I, I am that guy, and I think think it's the reason it's probably one of the reasons why i survived is i'm 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 naive and positive almost to a fault so i think one of the reasons i lived is i just didn't know how sick i was i just didn't realize what i was up against um i just kind of assumed that everything would work itself out and i and i don't know that i think that's just how i I was born that way you know i think Mm -hmm. i was always a little bit of a not even eccentric, just a bit of a free spirit. Right. And, um, like, like for instance, I can remember, uh, 
when I was, I must've been maybe let's say 16 years old and I was full of the devil and, you know, going a million miles an hour and thought I was the coolest guy in the world and, and didn't interact with the world as an amputee. I just didn't, I just pretended I wasn't an amputee. Now that was my way to deal with life with, you know, was normal in college, uh, in high school. I couldn't play sports and I was always a big dude. You know, I'm a big guy. And, and of course that was an issue because boys love sports and I, I wanted to be play sports, but I couldn't. But aside from that, um, I remember I went to my, I was real close with my grandmother and I would go after, I'd go visit her. And, and after school, when I was about 16, we had learned in history about, uh, the depression, the great depression. Right. So, yeah. so I went and I said, you know, I called her Nani. I was like, Nani, what, you know, do you remember those things? What do you remember about gas shortage? You know, the things that I learned about, I was, I was curious and she says, yeah, yeah, this and that. And and I said, yeah, what, what's like, what was the worst thing that ever happened to you in your life? And she was like, well, uh, you, I guess. And, and I was, I laugh, I'm like, ha 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 ha. No, really. Cause I thought she was kidding, you know? And she's like, no, really you getting sick was probably the worst thing that ever happened to me. And, and I'm like, wait, what? Like literally it was like a light bulb went over my head where I was like, oh, I, me getting sick was a huge deal to my family and my community. Yeah. To, because I, for me, oddly, I was the center of attention. I was kind of like the, um, it just, it was, it, it's so strange, but it wasn't that bad for me. I, I kind of thrived in that strange world of being sick. And again, never, never recognizing that I had a chance to die, even though so many people around me with, with leukemia, Ewing sarcoma, osteo, kind of all the, the people that I was going through those uh uh chemotherapy and radiation with in in dana farmer dana farber they were dying around me yeah. but it never dawned on me man which is very strange right it, yeah. it's uh it, that's not something i think that can be learned it's just the way i interacted with the world and the universe and um and i think to this day it's it's uh, it's i don't i don't know that i ever think to myself hey i man life would be better if uh, it, it's just this is my normal it's been that way for so long and um and i am i gotta say i am blessed physically because i'm now 49 so that means i've been an amputee for since you know since i was 14 and i have never this is a cr pretty intense statement i've never gone out of the house without my leg so i i get up at six in the morning and i go to sleep at 11 at night and i put my leg on in the morning and I take it off at night. So I've never left the house where I'm on crutches or, mm -hmm. um, I just never have had to, I've always been lucky to that my, uh, that I've, and I know some people don't have that luck. I do feel like that's a little bit of luck that my skin holds up that my, um, maybe physiologically my, you know, I don't know what the reason is, but, um, I know I've met people at, uh, prostitute, uh, office where they're like, Oh, I'm always having trouble with my leg and I can't, I can't get a good fit. And I'm like, really? Oh, that sucks. You know, <laughs> that's unfortunate, but, um, yeah, man, I've been super blessed, you know, even, even with the children, you know, raising the, ch I, I have four children. So yeah. I've, I was I, for the last 14 years, I've been a stay at home father with my kids. And, uh, I just been so lucky to, to be healthy enough and, and, um, you know, strong enough to, to be able to pick them up and take care of them and all that stuff. So I, I don't have too much negative, uh, you know, negative stuff when it comes to life as an amputee.
Yeah, you know, it, very similar to me. You know, I was born this way, so maybe I don't know any different. But really, thank you for sharing that. That, that was a really good yeah, story. You, you talked about surviving, but you also thrive quite a bit. You've done so much. One of the things you do is your music career. I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, well, kind of backing up to, to end up there. I So post-college, I've been with my wife forever. Post-college, once we... Once the babies uh, started coming, we have the four kids. I quickly went, uh, turned to my family, a family business, and I went to work for my family in Rhode Island. Moved back to Rhode Island, and um, and then kind of all at once had that that you know we had three babies kind of in a row. I bought we bought a, a house and had a, a, a you know all of a sudden had a, a mortgage, and you know had went to work where I was working a lot of hours and and I. You know, I'd always music had always been in my life, but I very intentionally, very intentionally made the decision that, okay, music is not, there's no more time for music. I'm going to put my upright bass. I'm going to put my electric bass. I'm going to put it in the basement and I'm going to be an adult, right? That was, that was an intentional decision. And, um, and I think what happened because I am, and, and this is where the, the, um, that that naivety perhaps kind of bit me in the ass a little because I could my brain couldn't handle that adult way of living. You know, it it, it, it the, the household was stressful as as is normal when you have kids, right? And um and then my solace was kind of work because I was working with my brother and my father and and wonderful kind of wonderful small business a great atmosphere but then i had a falling out with a family member at work um and uh and kind of from one day to the next my my mind stopped working i i kind of stopped sleeping i kind of stopped you know uh, um i just lost sense of i, I lost kind of touch with reality and, and really went into a, a a brutally horrific kind of uh depression which for me, uh, depression showed itself as uh, panic attacks, which then ended up as this this intense fear of getting panic attacks. So I don't know how much you know about that world, but you know uh, uh, these these panic attacks. At least for me, of course, I can only speak for myself. Um, they might have only been these, even though they felt like there were hours and hours of this hellish fear for whatever happens to your brain when that clicks into that that panic attack mode um but it's such a it, it's so um scary and and so frightening that i became just in totally in fear of having them and it, and it just threw me totally off i could no longer interact with the world normally which which as you can imagine was just crazy because I've always been such a I was such a social guy and and I and I could no longer really work. I could no longer just I almost couldn't even survive anymore. So um my wife and I made the decision uh again had a falling out with my family member. Um we we made some changes in and my wife and I made the decision from one day to the next said Let's pack up our stuff, pack up all our shit, throw it in a container. Let's move to Germany, where wow. my wife is from, the little village that my wife was born and raised. Wow. Yeah, because she, she came <laughs> over to the States as an au pair, as a nanny. You, you know what an au pair is, right? Yeah. 
So, uh, so we did, we packed up our stuff. And one of the things she, as we were packing up the house, um, I was like, yeah, I didn't have any money. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to sell my upright base. I think I can get a couple thousand bucks for this beautiful mid fifties blonde, uh, K base, which is a standard American jazz base. And my wife was like, no, don't, don't sell it. You should bring it. And I'm like, no, I'm not a musician anymore. I'm going to sell it. And she's like, no, you know, my, my wife keeps me in, she keeps me in check. <laughs> she has for 30 years. So she's like, no, I think you should bring it. And I'm like, okay, okay, baby. And, uh, so we got to Germany. I, I, at that point I had gotten on kind of some right, the right meds. I had, I had at least found some sort of a, um, kind of baseline to, to try and piece together my life again, post depression, because again, for me, there was the depression and going through it. And then there was the emotions that you have to deal with of, of kind of recognizing that, holy, sh you know, what the hell just happened? You know, yeah. what just happened for the last two years? which, which the emotion that I was dealing with was shame and, um, well, mostly shame of kind of failing and shame of, of being too weak to handle, uh, you know, the responsibilities of adulthood as mm -hmm. a man should, right. All those things that we expect that we should be able to handle. So anyway, I end up in Germany the day we get here. Um, I take my bass out and I start playing again and, and I never put it down. It just, you know, from that day forward, my wife went back to work very organically because uh, she's German and she has her master's degree in psychology and she found work very quickly. And I stayed home with our seven, six and four year old. And then we had another baby. So um, and, uh, you know, fast forward five, 10 years later, I was playing every day. I was in this community of wonderful musicians in um, in Germany that that took me in, I think for a bunch of reasons, you know, I'm a good person. I'm an American guy that sings blues and rock. And there's always a place in anywhere in the world, man, if you're an American, <laughs> if you're a real life American and, uh, and you sing blues and rock music, there's always place for you. So I found this wonderful community, um, that really, uh, that I kind of thrived in and, and that throughout those years of, of reigniting my love for music, but also using music and using specifically writing um, as a form of therapy. Uh, a lot of my, or perhaps all of my songs are, are about that kind of monster I, that I considered like a, that monster that is chasing all of us, whether it be yeah. through something specific like, um, like depression or whether it be just, our own life expectations that we're not good enough, you know, um, or, or even can't, you know, even illness, which a lot of times, you know, what, what we consider depression and what a, a more specific illness like cancer or, or diabetes, it's all kind of similar, you know, it's all the same thing. We're all, something's broken and it's got to be fixed. Right. So I think, um, the writing process was incredibly important to me, man. You know, I, I was getting that poison out. I don't think I recognized why I was doing it, um, until I, until I got a little more, um, just more aware of, cause it, it was a, there was a lot of, my lyrics are so dark that a, a lot of people would be like, dude, you seem so happy. Why do you only write dark? You know, why do you only write about this stuff? And I'm like, I don't know, you know? <laughs> And then, of course, as I got more, uh, became more aware, 
that's what was happening. I was kind of letting that stuff out, right? And and feeling comfortable, wanting to feel more comfortable talking about that, not feeling ashamed of those things. And then, of course, the more you talk about it, the more you realize that everyone is going through their own hardships in life because we're human, right? That's what we all go through. That's um, a great point. Yeah, but music's been huge. Uh, the, the I made an album, so been writing original songs forever, um, but very specifically the last decade, and uh, made an album of original songs uh, during Corona time, which was, um, as you'd expect, uh, nowadays you can make albums very differently than the old days. Everyone has a little home studio, mm-hmm. and we were we were recording our parts in our home studios, me and my musician buddies. And then uh, sending them to a guy in Nashville, actually. We talked about Nashville just now. Uh, yeah. a, a guy that was acting as the producer, quasi-engineer and mixer. And he was taking these parts and piecing them together in the album. I'm very proud of the album because it's it was my first real professional album. But it sounded, to me, it sounds... And that's, that's uh, streaming everywhere. Uh, it's called Walk Alone. Okay, but to me that album sounds like it's been pieced together, and may, it might just be to my ears. With this album that I made last year in Chicago, it was a very different experience. Um, I was able to kind of uh, raise some money through uh, friends and family, which really just means my mom. Uh, <laughs> my mother was uh, excited to support this project. I I knew I wanted to make a professional album. I wanted to experience what it's like to work with a real producer. And I reached out to a bunch of guys. Um, one specific guy that I wanted to work with was out of here, Chicago. His name is Brian Deck. Uh, towards the end of his career, he's a little bit older, but has worked with um, you know big names. So he's a real guy. You know, he's worked with guys with bands that we know. And uh, he agreed to take me on, and it was experience of a lifetime, man. You know, because because it's it's different. You know, when you when you work with the real guy, he's like you know. He's like, okay, this is how it works. This is the steps that you need to take to make a a, a good, solid, professional sounding album. And we went through, you know, the pre-production process, which was just just looking at every piece of a song that I would bring to him and trying to make sure that it's it's as far along as we can get it before going into the studio with professional musicians. So, um, without going into too much detail, because I love this stuff, uh, it was the the absolute you know greatest experience of my life i would do that more than my children's lives now that's not true but i (laughs) i uh i just enjoyed it so much and and we did it the old way where there was four musicians in one big room and we were playing live and i was you know singing with these amazing older studio musicians uh, some of the greatest musicians in chicago and um and it was so great and the and the finished product of you know of course i couldn't be more happy with it it's called find your way find it's your out way. there everywhere and yeah actually find your way is it it's it ties in with um th- this theme of ours uh as i was making the album and the album was was already fairly it was probably three quarters of the way done um i was uh, living with a buddy of mine here in chicago and one of his a friend of his 10 year old daughter was diagnosed with osteosarcoma Wow. So um, I said, "Hey, man, offered offer to the dad that I go talk to him and give him some, you know, give him some hope." Uh, so he reached out to the guy, and, and the guy said, "No, he wasn't ready, but um, you know, if if need be, he'll let us know." And 
And that, so then I would, uh, my buddy Jay, I said, well, how's the daughter doing? And, and he, he told me the quotes, he quoted what the, the guy said, the father said, you know, she's, um, she's missing being a regular kid. She's struggling with all the things that I know, you know, you, when you're 10 years old and, and my buddy said, you should write a song for her. And I'm like, well, it doesn't really work that way, man. But you know, maybe you never know because I'm lucky that my songs come via inspiration. So I, 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 I'm always just hoping that something happens and then you try and capture it. Right. So that night, uh, I'm sitting in bed and this song came to me, but it wasn't from her point of view. It wasn't for her. It was from the father's point of view, which makes sense because that's who I am now. I'm the father of four children. Right. And, um, it's a story of, of the father saying that, you know, you're going to find your way. You're, you're going to make it. I, I, it, it crushes me to watch you go through it, but you're going to be fine and I'm going to help you get there. So, um, very proud of the song. And, and it was very sweet uh, when it was done. Uh, my buddy sent the song to the, to the father and, and he was, he was in tears listening. I, I still haven't met him, but my buddy was saying he was in tears when he called and said, I can't believe this guy did this for me. And, uh, so yeah, very sweet. What a great story. Find Your Way. That's the album. You said it's it's streaming everywhere, correct? That's right. Hey, go buy my album, man. I'm trying to Absolutely. make a living. Yes. Go buy, <laughs> go buy the album. And That's one right. other thing, too, because you were talking about the writing of, of songs. You also wrote a novel called Songs for Ivy. Yeah. Was that chicken or the egg? Was it the writing getting back into the music that it inspired you to do the, the novel? Or I'd love Yeah. To- I think... I'll- I think it's a lot. Of, it was a lot of things. Um, at that point, that would have been in. Uh, I so it was the Christmas of 2016, and and uh, reading has been. I don't know if you're a reader, but I've been a reader all my life, uh, more so than ever now. As I get older, I, I am uh, just more than ever reading for hours a day. Um, but I've always been a reader, and and at that age uh, my kids would have been my daughters would have been maybe 50 at that age 14 15 the the christmas of uh 2016 and they were they were reading at that point in their lives so so my wife had gotten them a bunch of young adult books so i i vividly remember at at christmas i was reading the back of their the blurbs on the back of their books and i i i'll read anything so um i had read anything that they had already read just cuz it was in the house and it was in Germany. So English books, I, this was pre Kindle. Now I'm a Kindle mm-hmm. guy, but mm-hmm. at the time I'd just read anything that was hanging around. And, uh, so my wife was always buying me books. She bought my daughters, these books. And as I read these books, I'm like, huh, you know, I, I've been raising my kids for now for the last, you know, X amount of years. Uh, I'm, I'm super present watching them grow up uh, like many people are, or maybe that's the artist in me where, I was always fascinated with watching these steps that they were taking as, you know, as prepubescent young ladies into being, you know, puberty and post-puberty and all this kind of stuff. And then because they're volleyball players, all my family are volleyball players. um, I was spending so much time in the car with them. Mm -hmm. So I was so part of their lives, you know, it was just, and we were always talking and acting silly and, and I'm a silly guy. So I was like, I think I could write a book for, I could write a young adult book. And in my opinion, young adult books, what, what differentiates them is they kind of don't, they almost don't, not only do they not need to kind of be fine prose and, 
but they almost you almost don't want to have a complex fine prose stylistic book um because kids don't want that they want a story they want it right they want a pretty much a straightforward story that they can engage in so if i was going to write a book i i certainly thought well i think i can do this and uh january run of 2017 i uh, had a little computer that was hanging around the house and for the next 18 months and i'm not exaggerating every single day every free minute i would open the computer and write and it, there was, you know, there's, there's always, of course, there's different ways to approach writing a novel, which, um, the most probably typical way would you'd outline the book, you'd outline the characters, you'd, you'd have, you'd create an arc of the main character. You know, that's a, that's how you'd probably approach a standard way. I didn't do any of that. I treated it like, um, like songwriting, like mm-hmm. I'm going to. I'm going to open the computer and I'm going to let it flow and see what happens wow. because I'm not a writer. Uh, I, I'm not a trained writer. And uh, so I did that for 18 months. Um, what ended up happening is uh, the main character became a 16 year old uh, girl who was a volleyball player. And, um, and the storyline ended up being that her, when she was one years old, when she was born, her 16 year old brother, died uh, he was going through the same thing that i went through mm. uh osteosarcoma but um but was terminal and he decided to leave a uh a journal behind for his then one-year-old daughter uh one-year-old sister with um with instructions to his parents to give it to her on her 16th birthday wow so that's that's how the the story unfolds wow. and and then through that journal i was which is very interesting. I was kind of frantically trying to remember the the sounds and the smells and the experiences that I had when I was 12, 13 and 14 so that I could kind of put them in this journal and, and, and find, let this character come to life. And then I was also, um, which was by the way, which is incredibly therapeutic. Right. Because there was a lot of things that I was writing about that I didn't, I don't even know that I had remembered or had taken the time to, you know, to, to kind of remember and, and bring out and talk about. And so it was wonderful for me. Um, and then, so as a tool that this, this, uh, journal is a way for, uh, in which this, the, the main character Ivy gets to know her brother, uh, and also gets to know some of the skeletons of our family you know that that all our families have to understand a little bit more about her family about her parents and um and then and then it also has a uh, three or four other storylines which ended up being um those characters end up basing themselves on the people that impressed upon me in my life right you know i i had a best best bud who went through drug addiction for 20 years through heroin addiction and that impressed upon me yeah. because i loved him and i watched him go through this you know, battle these demons that he had. So, um, yeah, so the book was, it it was definitely, it sounds so cheesy. It was definitely a labor of love. I made myself crazy because to try and get, uh, to, to get in that flow as a, um, as a writer from a music standpoint, that's fairly easy. You, you know, if you're just (laughs) open to, to try and, you know, be a receptacle of ideas, then it's fairly easy. I, at least I feel like it is. If I, if I am inspired, I take the time to, to, uh, to write it down or, or, or whatever it is. 
but to force yourself into that space um every day uh, for 18 months i made myself a little crazy doing it you know it, i got i was getting up early super early before the kids woke up to try and get a few hours in and i was you know it, it was it was definitely wonderful experience i i've learned so much about myself doing it and um but ultimately it was a it was challenging man and i loved it it was you know challenging yourself is the greatest thing in the world right and that's on amazon right now at least on amazon it could be other it, places too yeah yeah it is indeed yeah yeah it's on it's uh it's available man yeah that's I'm just gonna i'm just gonna be yelling at your your uh, uh listeners just buy my album and buy my book man Come absolutely on. no it, it, that's perfect because these <laughs> stories and as you tell them they come to life as you talk through this and it just for me it makes me more curious about everything you're talking about and the best way to find that out is to listen to the music and, and buy that book absolutely there's no yeah, question and, and, about and, and, that and, and, and at the same time i i i don't I'm not writing. I didn't write this book to be the next, you know, Shakespeare, and I I don't uh, pretend to be the next Bob Dylan. It, it's just it's just my path. It's just me telling my story, right? Which is all we all any of us can do is is put, tell our honest story. Absolutely. So, what is next for Carlos now? I it, it, there's so much you've already gone through. I mean, the cancer story is just yeah, it, that that's touching you know, to, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Now you have your, you know, you're married over 30 years. You got four children. You got a whole lifetime ahead of you. What, what's, what's next? Yeah. Well, I'm, as we speak, I'm sitting here on in the, uh, I'm looking out if I could turn the uh, computer, I would for you. I'm on the 33rd, uh, 43rd floor of uh, a, a beautiful building here in Streeterville, Chicago. Huh? It, it's nice to have rich friends, right? So uh, <laughs> I'm staying with my, one of my buddies who has this beautiful uh, apartment up here. And, um, he has a company in Chicago uh, that I am here for the next four months helping out. So I'm working full time for him. Um, at the same time, I am trying like heck to make another album with this same producer, this guy, oh, Brian. Um, it, it was not an inexpensive experience to to make that album, sure. but I, I want to make another one. I've been uh, for the last, it's been a year since we finished making the album, a little less. But I've been incredibly kind of uh, productive in the writing process. And from what I learned, from what he taught me, um, watching him craft or, or, or perhaps recraft the songs that I, my songs that I brought to him, I learned so much on how, what he was looking for and how he was kind of pulling those, those things out. Wow. And, and so I have 15 songs that I've written over the last year that um i haven't played live um and i haven't really shared them with with musicians because i've we've been so focused on this last album and i'm dying to share these songs specifically with brian he, he's become uh he became so uh so important to me and uh, with the you know with the experience that i had with them i really am looking forward to that moment where i share the songs with them and see if um you know, see if he responds to them the way I, there's, there's a chance he could say, ah, shit, but I, uh, <laughs> I, I sure it. hope that, yeah, I sure hope he's, he says, okay, I, I see that you took some of my, uh, you know, some of my teachings, but, um, so yeah, I'm hoping to make another album, but right now I'm, I'm here enjoying the, uh, the, 
enjoying being back to, you know, I haven't worked a traditional job in 14 years. So I, I arrived here Tuesday and I started working on Wednesday. Um, at, uh, my buddy has a chocolate company. So I'm working oh, nice. in the, uh, in the warehouse, uh, in, in the, in the production line working with, um, he has about 40, uh, mostly Guatemalans that are doing the actual production. And, uh, I'm trying to, to quickly get up to speed and in, in helping him in any way I can with that stuff. So I'm enjoying the moment, man. You know, it's work is fun. I, I think I forgot how much, how fun <laughs> it is to go into work every morning and, and have a community there where you say good morning. And, you know, it's a, it's a different way to live than I've been living for, for 14 years. And I'm enjoying that very much. So. That's great. I, I, one other amputee question, you go back into the workforce, like, how are you accepted? They ask you questions or are you just like, you know, just another person? Yeah. You know, as I get older, I walk worse and worse, man. I, you know, I used to be able to walk where I feel like I was virtually walking without a limp. Now I'm absolutely don't care anymore and in <laughs> my back and my hip and yeah. you know nothing nothing works the way it used to um you. you know it i'm so open it's it's so it's been part of you know i mean yeah. uh everyone kind of always does that like you got a bad foot or you you know did you hurt yourself and yeah so i think uh i quickly get that response actually man I, how much time do we have are we wrapping up or no i i'd love to hear another story well, this, this ties in, this is an interesting one, man. So my best bud, this is my best friend in the world since college. He's, he is a, one of twins and two, my two best friends are twins. Oh, wow. This kid is, this guy is, you know, the coolest guy you'll ever meet, you know, beautiful man, uh, you know, owns the room, charisma, the whole thing always been, that's always who he's been. Um, in 2019, we, we would have been 47 he was running triathlons, you know, was in amazing shape, best shape of his life on top of the world, owned these, these, these you know, several businesses. And he got sick, he got a cold. He was in Miami with his best, with, with his twin brother, uh, wasn't feeling well, decided to fly home early, uh, laid on the couch and, uh, basically didn't wake up. He ended up with sepsis. So by the time his one of his business partners called and he answered the phone slurring his words he rushed over picked him up carried him uh to northwestern and he was dead to the world for two weeks uh the only reason he is here today is because his twin brother flew in and just kept begging the doctors put put him on more machines figure out a way to keep him alive he's going to be fine and the doctors i was there i flew in from germany because we assumed he was not going to make it. So the doctors were saying, listen, I was in the room with him because, you know, he's my best friend and his twin brother is my best friend. And the doctors were saying, listen, he's going to lose all his limbs. No matter what, if he lives, he's going to lose all his limbs. He could be blind and he could be brain dead. And you want us to keep going. And his twin brother said, keep going, keep him alive. He's going to be fine. Well, fast forward. He did lose all his limbs. Uh, and he lost his nose and, um, and his eyes for, for the last three, for through the three years afterwards were terrible. He's, he's since got prosthetic irises, which are, or, or a prosthetic retinas or something. I, he's had two major surgeries on his eyes. So he sees quite well. And, um, so my best friend is an amputee, uh, but a quad amputee. 
so talking about weird man um it is just the most bizarre thing and um i was so blessed uh, mike in 2019 that was in february of 2019 that he got sick i um which almost ended my marriage i made the decision to move here to chicago for six months and i lived in the hospital with him um from 7 a.m until 11 at night every day for six months because he had no hands and he couldn't do anything and someone had to do it and um and i adore this guy so uh i had this you know it was one of the most uh emotional and beautiful experiences of my life you know because he and i are both silly guys we had never um approached that side of who am i am as an amputee and all of a sudden you know we have this in common and uh it was the strangest it it felt almost didn't feel real so many uh, so many times and um but we had a we had a blast for six months as he was and he had no concept at that point of what he was up against at that point he was like oh you know i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna be running triathlons again you know in, in a year and i'm like eh, I i'm not sure about that you know mm-hmm. and the doctors would be you know kind of rolling their eyes at me in the background and the nurses and uh and it took them as you can imagine it took them a few years um the emotional uh devastation took a few years for him to get through but um i am so proud to say he now drives i don't know how the hell he does it i drive with him <laughs> and uh and he's raising his two boys and he's running his businesses again and he can walk further than I can. And he is the most badass guy in the world. And um, he's the one that I came to work for. So, okay, you know, when you when you asked me before, what's the worst thing about being amputee? If I if I had perspective before that happened, now that my best friend has no uh, limbs and has the challenges that he has, it's it's so hard for me to, you know, to. um in any way feel sorry for myself because uh you know when you don't when you don't have and you you lost your hand when you were a kid or you were i was born born that way yeah Yeah. so you know i mean um just for perspective for me to watch him get up in the morning every day and and um and just he's as fearless as they come and and uh it's so great to me because it's like he forgets that he kind of looks like a monster you know he he was so good looking and and now they're rebuilding his nose this wonderful doctor uh dr walton here in in that northwestern is rebuilding his nose he said like because his nose also was um they lost he lost his nose so uh he's using his twin brother's body parts to rebuild his nose wow how crazy is that yeah wow so so he'll and you know and he's got hooks two hooks and he's got two two blades for legs and we'll go out to you know like a fancy restaurant and there'll be a, a, a good looking young lady at the bar and he'll walk up, he'll walk up to him and be like you know and he'll do his thing but he forgets that he doesn't look the way he used to and, you know and we're a world of uh you know vanity right and i'm always like oh god this is so great and and after the initial of course the initial kind of uh shock from whoever meets him once he shows his his yeah. charisma all that goes away man you know everybody that meets this guy quickly realizes oh this guy is 
all of that and more and and um and i love that stuff man you know that's what makes this world so so great is the people like you and and people that are able to get past those challenges because lord knows we all have them man it you know physical challenges mental challenges all of the challenge, financial yeah. in yeah. the end we all we're all fighting every day for our lives right thank you so much for sharing that story that that's yeah. an amazing story would you think it would be okay to to say the the name of the chocolate company i, I don't want to put you in a I, bad spot i think so yeah it's called Vosges, v-o-s-g-e-s Vosges chocolate uh for those of your listeners that have ever flown into um o'hare okay. uh they would know the brand because they have two big um kind of what are they kiosks in yeah. in uh in uh, o'hare but it's a wonderful brand um they're, they're in whole foods and it's a big you know it's a big chocolate company so Excellent. Uh, my my yeah. daughter actually does fly into Chicago quite a bit for her work, so I'll let She'll her know. She'll know it if you mention it to you. Yeah. And, and he, also, he also owns a wonderful uh, pizza restaurant d- down here off in Streeterville called Robert's Pizza and Dough. You know, it, I feel like I'm just coming in here and just marketing. I'm just hey. doing marketing on your show, man. But here's what we're doing. We're supporting amputee business and That's writing, right. and, and I think it's a, a great thing. So let's, let's plug those again. So you have, um, let's see, For Your Way. Find your way. Oh, find your way. I'm yeah, so yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Find your no, way. No, no. Plus songs for Ivy. If I'm saying that correctly as well, you got Looking it. At my man. nose. I'm you, cheating. You got it. No, yeah, no, it it's fantastic. It. And I, I can't thank you enough for being on this podcast. And you know, I, as I said earlier, we talked for like 10 minutes before the podcast started. But I just feel like I know you. You know, there's you're very engaging, and and it's great to to be able to talk to you and learn more. You too. I, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. I was gonna say your personality. I is going to come out in the books and your music. And I can't wait to enjoy that. So again, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Oh man, you make me feel good. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, have a good day. If you're ever in Chicago, come on, I'm going to buy you a beer, man. Oh, (laughs) no, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy you chocolate, a pizza and a beer (laughs) in that order. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's great talk with you, man. Hosted by Mike Bowler. If you want to be a guest on the program, reach out to Mike at his email address, mike at mikebolin.com. This podcast is produced by One Hand Man Productions. If you are looking to start your podcast, go to onehandmanproductions.com.